The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Discover hope and healing from the other side. Welcome to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Listen, they're all around you, close as a thought or a memory. Messages of Hope. Messages of Hope. Hi, everybody, and here we are for another week of live radio. This time, I am in Phoenix, Arizona, just a about three hours ago, I was in Flagstaff up to the north of here, but I drove down today to be with some kindred spirits to celebrate our dear friend, Brenda Bowman Baker. If you're a regular listener of this show, you know that Brenda passed to the other side, but you may not know it was exactly one year ago today. So this is her angel date and uh, some of the members of the Souls Awakening group that she and her dear friend Lynette founded are here to celebrate Brenda. And I may have thought I was driving down the highway alone, but a couple times I felt Brenda's presence and I know she's clearly with all of us today. So hi, Brenda. And I want to say hi to Ty, who's back in Flagstaff. Ty, do me a favor. Don't tell Rudy and Gretchen that Lynette's dog Boo is here. I'm with another dog. Oh, my God. So anyway, it's going to be a nice day, a nice celebration here. But today I have the coolest guest. We're going to talk about some things that I normally don't talk about. We're going to talk about the afterlife, of course, but we're going to get into something different, just a little bit of talk of handwriting analysis, because our guest today is Sheila Lowe, who is an expert handwriting analyst, forensic handwriting expert. In fact, she's testified in over 60 court cases, and her work is just fascinating. But that's not the whole reason I brought her on the show. I brought her on the show because oh, a while back, she reached out to me and asked if I would do a review of her book that was going to be released soon. The book is called Proof of Life, and it's part of her new Beyond the Veil mystery. That book was just launched a couple of days ago. I loved the book so much that uh, as soon as I finished reading it, I said, Sheila, as soon as that book comes out, we have to get you on the show. So, Sheila, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much, Suzanne. It's an honor. And you just had a party to launch the book the other night, right? We did. There were over 80 people there to help me celebrate. It was wonderful. Oh, that's awesome. And it's definitely worth celebrating. I'm going to say the name of the book several times during this show, Proof of Life. And what I love about it, Sheila, is it's a novel, but it's so incredibly accurate about what happens when we open up to the greater reality and begin to connect with those who have passed. So congratulations. Thank you so much. 
I was <laughs> hoping that it, you know, by by putting that material into a novel, that it would make it more palatable to some people who might not otherwise be open to it. Well, you've done a great job of that. And, and what I love is that you didn't sensationalize it at all. And I have read other books that try to make connecting across the veil sound scary or talk about ghosts. And you didn't do that at all. No. Well, it's funny because I, I grew up in a religion where I was taught that those things were scary, you know, and that any spirit contact was, you were demon possessed. So, you know, this was, this was a big leap for me. And, and that's what we're going to dive into in the show today, how that came to be, why you made that leap. And what's funny, Sheila, is that you sent me a galley proof of the book. And then when it came out, I got the the actual copy of it, oh, about a week ago in the mail when I picked up my latest mail on the road here. And I thought, well, I've already read the book. I don't need to open it up again. And so I just now, getting ready for the show, opened it up and uh, turned to the back and found this section, how I became interested in the afterlife. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. And actually, I'm quite happy for all of you listening that I didn't know that section was in the back because in it, Sheila talks about her daughter who crossed the veil and what was really fun was when Sheila and I were discussing this upcoming show uh, just a couple days ago I proposed that we exchange services that she do an analysis of my handwriting and I would do a reading for her so that we would have other things to talk about during the show so Sheila it's really cool that I hadn't read this because some of the things that I just now read preparing came up in the reading yesterday hmm. yes they <laughs> so let's talk about this a little. Um, you've written a book now, but this is not the first time you've written a novel. Why don't you tell us all about your other books? Oh, sure. Well, actually, the very first two books that I wrote were nonfiction about handwriting. I wrote The Complete Idiot's Guide to Handwriting Analysis and um, then Handwriting of the Famous and Infamous. But I had always wanted to write a mystery, because I love mysteries. I've been reading them since I was eight years old. Got, got a, a book by Ann Blyton on my birthday, and it just, you know, awakened a love of mystery. So um, it was after those first two books I decided to start writing my mystery. And people always said, write what you know. And yeah. I knew handwriting, because I, I started studying handwriting in 1967 when I was in high school. So I had a handwriting analyst character who does the work I do. She's not me, but she does the same kind of work that I do. Um, and so I didn't know that was going to become a series, but it did. And now there are seven books in the series. But in, when I was writing, I think, the fourth book, I was, write, I was uh, published by Penguin, and something happened, and I wasn't with Penguin anymore. I went to a small publisher, but I decided to write a standalone book. And I have always been fascinated by the topic of amnesia because it mm -hmm. seems like it would be, you know, completely terrifying to suddenly not know who you are, where you're going. And so I had um, my character wake up on a train coming into the station here in Ventura, where I live now, and she has complete amnesia. She doesn't know who she is gets off the train in Ventura and meets some people and things happen. So now fast forward five years and 
I suddenly decided, it was one of those, you know, suddenly things mm-hmm. um, back in 2016, that I wanted to write a book with an afterlife theme. And as I started to think about it, it occurred to me that I needed to go back and use Jessica, who was the character in that book, and make this story about her. And, you know, after her amnesia, actually, I went back a couple months ago and rewrote that book to layer in some foreshadowing. But Mm -hmm. um, she's, she's been hearing voices. She's not crazy. She's hearing voices from the other side and been trying to ignore them for five years. And now she's forced to listen because there's a missing child and her friend in the FBI gets her to to help him. Well, I just, I have always enjoyed mysteries and I love mystery series. You get to know that main character so well. So I can't wait to read your first series because the handwriting analysis that you did for me was so spot on. I read it to Ty and his eyes just kept getting wider and wider, (laughs) more accurate than any horoscope that I've ever read and just from a few paragraphs of writing. So I'm sure that your your first series is fascinating. But now, having read the second in your Afterlife series, Proof of Life, I have to go back and read what she saw. So you just, you're, did you study writing? Well, I took a couple of short courses, but I've, I've always written. And then when I started writing mysteries, I got a whole bunch of books. I think I've got probably 40 or 50 books on writing Mm-hmm. So I self-studied. And then what, one thing that I found in, I joined organizations, you know, and started hanging out with other authors. And I think one of the most helpful things for people who want to write fiction is mm-hmm. to read very, um, I don't know what the word, read carefully the books that you like and see what it is that those authors do. Yeah. And then emulate that. Very good. Well, if you all want to check out Sheila's books, certainly they're all on Amazon, but it's Sheila at or just SheilaLow.com is her website for the books. So, oh, I wanted to ask you, Sheila, we never talked about this on the phone, but in your biography on your website, it says you're the mother of a tattoo artist and a rock star. (laughs) Now, I'm probably sure that most parents think their kid is a rock star, but yours is an actual (laughs) rock star. He actually is, yeah. He's well. Uh, two or three years ago, well, I guess it's four years now. He decided. He says, "I am going to trade in my leather pants for a polo shirt." And mm. he got married. He said he was, you know, he now he's in a grown-up job, but he does still perform at times. It's um, they perform all over the world, actually, except for in this country. But it's they're called Snap, and the song, the group. Well, I say group, but it's really just. Penny Ford and Ben, who stayed in as Stoli. And um, they've been around since the 70s. And their big song is I've Got the Power, which is great oh my for, gosh. for your show. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's um, great. Well, excellent. So let's talk about your life and what led you to write this series, how you became interested in the afterlife. You mentioned when the show began that you grew up with a fundalist mental fundamentalist religion family. Talk about that for a minute, if you would. Yes. My, actually, my mother hasn't spoken to me in nearly well, over 10 years. I haven't seen her in nearly 20, and she's 90 years old now, so I guess I'll never see her again. But um, when I was seven, she began studying with Jehovah's Witnesses, and so that's how I was raised. And I have left that 
actually I got kicked out. They said I was clearly a danger to the congregation on my 35th birthday. So I wear that as a badge of honor now. Hmm. So that religion teaches, you know, that any kind of spirit contact is bad and that if you bring in, you have the demons. So it was something I had always steered clear of. And then my daughter was killed by her boyfriend, uh, who also killed himself. And he was a federal agent, so he had a gun. She had a gun. And, um, you know, I'm sure she would have been a big proponent of Second Amendment rights today, but it it didn't save her life. Um, I don't know, do you want me to talk about what happened with her? Well, let's, uh, it was stunning to me that, well, I want everybody to know that we did connect with Sheila's daughter, Jennifer, yesterday. And uh, all I knew was that you had said to me, Sheila, beforehand, your daughter was killed. And I told you at the beginning of the reading that I tried to shake out any assumptions I might be making in my mind. And I thought, I I don't want to assume that how she was killed, that it could have been a car accident or hit by a motor vehicle, or she could have been killed by lightning like my stepdaughter was, or she could have been killed by somebody else. And Jennifer came through and showed me exactly those details that you just shared with us here. So we we know for a fact that Jennifer is still very much part of your life. And so I'd like to talk for a while about how you came to know that yourself. Yeah, well, um, we had a very difficult relationship for most of her life for a variety of reasons. But in, I'd say, the two years before she crossed over, um, she began repairing relationships. And one day she called me up and she said, I don't hate you anymore. And so (laughs) I knew that that was her way of saying I love you. And so I'm very grateful for that. Um, But when... When this event happened, it was, uh, as I told you yesterday, I had a phone call on a Saturday morning. I talked to her in the, well, I didn't tell you this part. I was out to dinner with my husband at the time, and she called me on my cell phone. This was in um, 2000, February 19th, 2000. So she called me and asked me to do something for her. And I said, okay, fine, but I'm at dinner right now. Can we talk tomorrow? And she said, okay, sure. So... The next thing I knew, Saturday morning, I was getting ready to go on a business trip, and the phone rang, my cell phone rang, and the person, I, he identified himself, but I didn't hear what he said, and he, he uh, asked for my ex-husband, and I said, why are you asking for him? <laughs> We're divorced for 20 years. And he said, do you know Jennifer Lowe? And I said, yes, that's my daughter, why? And a couple months earlier, she'd had some problems and um, she was hospitalized, so I thought maybe something like that had happened again. Mm-hmm. And he said, I'm sorry to tell you, your daughter has been murdered. So, You I told just, me that yesterday, I mean, and I just couldn't believe that anybody would say that on the phone. I know, and she lived about 100 miles from me. But I lived two miles from a police station, so he could have conceivably called them and asked them to come over because... You know, what if I was driving my car and I was on the phone? It would have been even worse. But there is no good way to say such a thing. But I immediately knew what had happened, and I just kind of stared at the phone, and I said, hold on, you have to talk to my husband. I, I You know, I've been shocked. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I, I was able to immediately accept it. I kept waiting for months to be 
absolutely, you know, flattened and devastated. And of course, on some level I was, but she had such a difficult life and had put herself into so many horrible situations that I, I think I felt, um, I, I had done a lot of my grieving before she left. And now I knew that she, nobody was going to hurt her anymore, that she was mm. okay. Mm. And she manifested many, many different ways. Um, she, you know, I smelled her perfume very strongly. And let's just take our time and talk through these because so many who listen to this show have children who have crossed and other loved ones who have crossed. And it's we love to celebrate these yeah. signs that they sent us. So what, what were you doing when suddenly you smelled her perfume? I, I just walked into the living room and I got this strong scent. She had a, she had a favorite perfume. Um, and I can't think of the name on it, but it was a, you know, it was a well-known perfume and I just smelled it. And... Did you have an understanding of the afterlife at that time? Did you have any concept that no. that could be her? Uh, no, because, you know, this religious thing, I hadn't, I, I was open to it. Because with her gone, now all of a sudden I had a compelling reason to know what happens when we supposedly die. Boy, and don't and, so many of us know that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the first things that happened was um, I got calls on my cell phone and my landline where I would pick up the phone and I would hear static and at a, I, at a great distance I could hear a voice but I couldn't hear what it said and I just knew that was her. And, and I just need to say to those of you listening who are new to this kind of phenomena, you might think, oh, yeah, well, that's just a random phone call, but it's not. And in fact, in one of my readings this week, Sheila, uh, the spirit that came through from the other side said, tell my mom I've been messing with her phone. And she lit up and she <laughs> said, yes, that's exactly what I get. All these these songs play on my on my phone. And, uh, you know, that doesn't happen to everybody. So it's lovely that you recognize that. Well, you know, it might have been, I might have thought it was a coincidence if it was just one of my phones, but it was the cell phone and the landline. So hmm. that, that's a that good one. No coincidence. Yeah, and um, the, that happened. It happened on a Saturday and on Tuesday, I drove that 100 miles down to Lake Forest where she lived to, to close up her apartment and, and pick up her cats because, um, you know, the, the uh, police had taken one of the cats to in a protective hold at the pound and the other one was missing. So I went down there and that was, you know, pretty hard. And I met, I met her boyfriend's father, the guy who had killed her, his, and I, he had talked about his father. And he and and his brother were there to get Tom's stuff too, and he just you know he looked at me and I know he was thinking you know what am I going to say to this woman and I just went over and hugged him and we just mm. kind of hugged and cried for a while, but on my way home, I had packed well, without getting into a long story, she had she was married to somebody else that she was separated from and she was going to go back to him. And I had picked up her wedding dress at the apartment, that, and um, I was, and so I uh, to bury her in it. So I had that, and I had the cats. They were in a box in the front seat in my car. And I'm driving out to my brother, who was going to take the cats. And it was raining, and it was, you know, winter evening, and I was feeling pretty awful. And all of a sudden, the lights came on in the car. Hmm. The overhead lights. 
the dome hmm. light. And the cats were being completely quiet, which, you know, cats in the car are not usually quiet. That's true. So I knew that was her. Because it never happened before and it never happened again in the yeah. car. Yeah, it's all frequency, just manipulating frequency for those of you, again, new to how those across the veil can make their presence known. So your daughter is a good communicator. She's a very strong spirit. She's a, she was, I learned a lot from her. Even though we had a really tough time, I learned a lot from her. Yeah, and she a, messed a with your car radio as well, right? Yeah, the radio kept changing. And uh, my CD player in the house, it switched. I was playing a Gino Vanelli CD or DVD, uh, whatever it was back then, a cassette player. I don't know what it was because this was in 2000. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was an eight-track oh, eight tape. I was going to say eight-track, but I didn't want to assume <laughs> <laughs> some people listening yeah, may no. not even know what that is. <laughs> I know. Well, I was, I'm thinking, you know, what did I have Gino Vanelli? It was an eight-track, and it switched to the song Storm at Sunup. And you know, just switched all by itself. Wow. And yeah, not that's that's pretty hard to do with an eight track. Huh. Yes. We were we were walking up the, the hill. There's a hill in the at the at the uh, cemetery and um so the family we were walking up behind the hearse and and her brothers and her uncle and her father were walking with the hearse or they were carrying the I think it was when they were carrying the casket, all of a sudden her uncle's car alarm went off that was nobody was near the car. Hmm. And again, I said, that's her. So, you know, all kinds of stuff like that and continued for quite a long time. And have you actually, have you had any apparitions or seen her? I mean, you should ask. Um, yes. I, oh, this was way back then when I was still living in that house. Um, she walked past the kitchen door. I saw it past the doorway. It was very quick, but it's still very clear in my head. Mm. Wow. And I would, I would I love for that to happen. I'm a medium, and I don't see that, so that's a blessing. Well, wow. It's the, it's the only time that ever happened. But I, did, I heard her on one occasion. I went to uh, Dr. Gary Schwartz Afterlife Symposium in the beginning of 2001, and one day I went into the meeting room, and it was empty. Everybody was at lunch. And I was just in there. And I heard very close outside my ear, Mom, Mom. Oh. Yeah. That, that gets your attention. So you you say in your um, in your book how you became interested in the afterlife that you, you kind of gave up your focus on spiritual things for a while. What brought you back hmm. to it? Well, it's just, it's not that I made a decision to give it up. It was right after that, that symposium with Dr. Schwartz, I got really sick. I, I had my first book had come out six weeks after Jennifer crossed, and I, was, I went on a book tour, and I was you know, going a little crazy all across the country, 10, ten trips in, a, in the year, and I got really sick. I had been meditating for about an hour every day and getting some good results, but after I was well, I had done mono, and after I recovered, I couldn't meditate anymore. I just couldn't seem to do it. So just gradually, I, I left it behind. But at the end of um, 2016, the man that I was seeing died very suddenly of a heart attack. And, of course, he came through yesterday, too. Yes, he did. 
So that brought it all back. And I started uh, reading and studying, and I, I went to the uh, Afterlife Research Education Institute Symposium where I first heard you speak. Yeah, they do a lot of good, uh, a lot of good work to bring credibility to the afterlife and the existence of a greater reality. So, what did you do from there then? <laughs> well, I learned that with with Craig Hogan, the guy who runs it, you should be careful what you volunteer for. <laughs> After the symposium, they asked the people who are left. They said, "We want to start having groups on Zoom." have regional groups. So if you'd like to be in a regional group, let us know. And so I said, yes, I'm in Ventura, California. I would like to be in a group. Um, and they said, what are your interests? And I said, well, I'm, I've always been interested in automatic writing because, you know, as a handwriting analyst, it's kind of yeah. natural for me. And the next thing I knew, I was leading the group. <laughs> Even though <laughs> I don't do automatic writing at this point. But um, it's a wonderful group now. We've been meeting for uh, over a year, twice a month. So, so can, um, I, I find that so intriguing that you lead the group, but you don't do it yourself. I mean, do you do you instruct the group on how to do it? I got I at the beginning. I gathered as much material as I could from the internet and some videos and things. And these people, some of them have practiced it, and some of them are just interested. So, so the level of experience is different, and we have, gosh, there's 60 people on the list. We have usually about 10 to 15 come, and we talk about what we do, what what we've done in the last couple of weeks. We meet on the first and third Wednesday, and recently I've started inviting guests. I'm hoping at one time you'll come. Um, we've had Joe Higgins, and um, gosh, we we just had a couple of really great mediums. And we had Tracy Bolton, who has taken your classes. She's a great favorite. Of yeah, I remember Tracy. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so I think, I, I think it would be interesting for our listeners to talk after the break more about automatic writing, because I realize we're talking about it and some people may not realize what it is, may not be familiar with it. So mm-hmm. in fact, I would say that that's what I'm doing when I receive some of the messages from spirit, but it's not necessarily the definition that you give to automatic writing. So we're coming up to a break now. We're talking to Sheila Lowe, who is an author and an expert forensic handwriting analyst. So when we come back, we're going to talk more about her latest book that discusses the afterlife. It's a novel, but very accurate. We're going to talk about automatic writing and handwriting analysis. So please come back after this short break for more. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. As Unity Online Radio continues to expand its programming and outreach around the world, 
we depend on the generosity of listeners like you. If you enjoy the programming, please make your donation today by going to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Wisdom Moment with Eric Butterworth. How much time is enough time? Ever thought about that? How much time is enough time? Time is not a quantity. It cannot really be measured. Oh, you say, but it can. I have a watch, but the watch is synthetic. There's no way to really measure time because time is a depth. It's an allness. You may say, but I only have an hour. I only have a day. And so all you do is admit to yourself and to others that you've encased yourself in a shell. And this time frame will always frustrate your creative flow. And time for you will be a matter of the clock ticking on, but it's only where you are in consciousness. So it's time to slow down, to look up, to get a sense of the eternal. And this basically is the purpose of prayer. To hear more talks from Eric Butterworth, visit truthunity.net. Get your copy of Unity Magazine this month and deepen your spiritual journey. Pastor Nadia Boltzweber talks about the need to make a holy shift. Carolyn Mace gets gutsy with God. Justine Willis-Toms dives into new dimensions. And Alberto Violdo shares an excerpt from his new book, Heart of the Shaman. Subscribe for one year and save $5 off the cover price and get the digital edition free. Go to unitymagazine.org and get a free trial issue today. Indian saint and mystic Kabir is quoted as saying, One drop of divine love can turn you to gold. Immerse yourself in the work of Kabir with acclaimed poet, author, and spiritual teacher Andrew Harvey in his book, Turn Me to Gold, 108 Poems of Kabir. Andrew shares the powerful and timeless words of Kabir in a way that is accessible to all with beautiful photography by Brett Hurd. This is a book you will turn to again and again. Available now at Amazon.com or Unity.org shop. Take a trip with Reverend Paul John Roach every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Central and tune in to World Spirituality. A lifelong student and practitioner of many world spiritual teachings, Paul guides you to the unity and common values shared by all world religions. We really are all connected. Take a journey with Paul and explore our planet's spiritual landscape with insight, humor, and practical advice for all. Join the show with your question or comment right here on Unity Online Radio. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back. You're listening to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Hi, everybody. I hope you've been enjoying the show so far. I sure am. We're talking with Sheila Lowe, who is an author of many great novels. Her latest one, however, is called Proof of Life. And I love that it's a novel that talks about the afterlife and a, and a medium, in fact. But it's incredibly accurate. And it's not sensationalized, yet the book is sensational. I just kept turning page after page, which is, of course, the best sign of a good book. But before we get back to the book, Sheila, before we took the break, you were talking about your work with the 
automatic writing group of the Association for Research no, – no, Afterlife Research and Education Institute. So would you yes. tell everybody what is automatic writing? Well, what I've learned from, from the group and from hosting the group is that it's not exactly what I thought it was, which was I expected that if I'm going to do automatic writing, and I'll, I'll invite spirit to come in and take my hand and write something which is one form of it, but it's not the only form. It can be inspired writing, ideas coming into your head and you writing them down, or um, typing. It doesn't have to be handwriting. It can be all kinds of different things. I'm trying to talk myself into practicing more so that maybe, you know, I keep disappointing myself because I keep expecting something and I'm trying to learn to let the expectations go. That's that's a good practice. Absolutely. Yeah, some hardcore spiritualists would say that automatic writing has to be when the spirit takes over your hand and you, you just watch the pen moving and you don't know what's coming through. Uh, but most people do in, experience that inspired writing when you know that those thoughts don't come from you. It's funny, my I get the messages from my group, Sonia, every day. And today's message uh, got a lot of comments on Facebook. Book. Uh, people, re- it resonated with them, but it's funny because I was told to use the word gestalt, and even as it was coming through, I'm thinking, I'm not sure what this word means. Is this right? And I've learned to trust the words that come through. And in reading the back of your book just before the show, you practice a method of handwriting analysis called what? Gestalt. <laughs> yeah. The Gestalt method, which just is just one of those beautiful little God winks that happen all the time. So before we get off the track and talking about the handwriting analysis, let's get back to the book. You say you don't practice inspired writing, but I would say that you had some help writing this book from above. Yeah, well, I was told when I first started writing it, and I had, you know, I told you I'm a medium junkie, and um, I've had several different readings where I was told that Jennifer was working on the book with me. And I thought, you know, couldn't she make it a little easier and just do it? But there were (laughs) times when I had questions and things that just didn't quite fit or make sense for me. And I'm I'm positive that she's the one that gave me the answer. She gave me the perfect answer. I just love that. So when you say you don't do inspired writing, maybe not on the spot in your group, but... But yeah. certainly, as an author, you know what it's like to get in the flow. Yes, I do. Although I, you know, I really don't like writing. I like having written. Oh gosh, really? Better. Yeah, I like the editing part, but getting the story down is just because. Well, you know, because um, the handwriting examination practice is my main source of income, so that has to come first. So I'm sort of. It takes me about a year to write a book. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm not just sitting down every day and, and doing it. So I, probably if I had a more disciplined practice, maybe it would flow easier. Oh, that really surprised me, Sheila, because I, I, when I said, oh, really, it's because I know Ty is listening. And how many times has he heard me stop in the middle of writing one of my books and say, I just love writing. So <laughs> maybe if you if you. Uh, got more into that expanded state of awareness that the folks who do the automatic writing do, that it, it, it would be more enjoyable for you. But you've seen now that with, with your daughter Jennifer's help, you get the the yeah. Yeah. the words that you need. I get the answers. And, you know, 
in the group, we started just recently um, doing a short meditation at the beginning, and we have, I have one of your meditations scheduled for next week's meeting. Oh, fun. Well, cool. I'd love to come on with your group anytime, so we'll make that happen. But yeah, I, I know when I sit to write, and for all of you listening, I always ask that the words come from a higher place. And, and to, when I talk about getting in the flow, and I knew you would recognize this, Sheila, it's like time seems to stop, right? Mm, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Just, when, when it happens, it's wonderful. So you mentioned to us earlier that your boyfriend had also passed, and he did come through to us yesterday. You worked him into the book as well. Yeah, it, well, it, I didn't intend to. Uh, I was just writing, and uh, he just appeared. And for some reason, I, I don't know, it, was, it wasn't, I hadn't intended to put him in that scene. But he used to ride his bicycle at the beach a lot. He enjoyed doing that. And you described him, I think, as a free spirit and a hippie, which is totally what he was. <laughs> and um, so he rode up on his bicycle in the scene where Jessica is walking at the beach. And that was okay. So I put him in there and said, okay, you can be in here. But then he showed up again later in the book in the same thing. And uh, I didn't know why. And you can't, I mean, to have a good book, every word has to have meaning, everything in the scene. And so I, I drove I was driving down to my acupuncturist, I think, and I, I was talking to him, and I said, Arnie, if you're going to be in this scene, there's got to be a good reason for it. You're going to have to tell me why you're here. And just a minute or two later, it kind of downloaded into my head, and I was like so excited because it was a perfect solution. Of course it was. I tell what it is because I, I want people to read it. <laughs> well, I love that you just now in talking to all of us said, well, for some reason, and if I've learned anything in this work of working with the greater reality, it's that when we say for some reason, the reason is that those across the veil are putting thoughts in our head, those droplets of God that come from higher consciousness. So clearly Arnie wanted to be in that book. Like if, if you're going to feature the afterlife, you better feature me. And I love that yeah. you were talking to him. That comes from your awareness that we don't die. Yes, that's right. There is life after Earth. Yeah, and your book, Proof of Life, uh, very clearly shows that. Now, again, it's a novel, but just reading some of the endorsements in the front pages of the book, you really hit the mark here because the, the praise is high and well-deserved. Uh, let me see. I want to see... Let me get. Oh, I found it really fascinating. Speaking of those comments, here's one by Sandra Champlain, who hosts the We Don't Die show. Speaking of We Don't Die, and she writes that uh, your main character had a brain injury followed by a coma that opens a door wide into the spirit world. I find this fascinating because it was through my work with Dr. Gary Schwartz, who you mentioned earlier, and his. Uh, adopted grandmother, as he calls her, Susie Smith from Across the Veil, who led me to Susie's books, she says that most people who discover their psychic powers have had some kind of brain, uh, head injury or head trauma. And it just made me think twice because when I was seven weeks old, my mother didn't think I was old enough to roll over yet, but I showed her when she set me on the counter for a moment and I rolled off and fractured my skull. So oh my. I, I can't help but wonder if there's something to this brain injury thing. And then here you are uh, uh, 
talking about it in your book, but right now I am psychic because I just heard Ty saying, well, that explains a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. I was, my aunt dropped me on my head when I was 18 months old. So. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I don't give up on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that inspired writing is coming, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's see. Yeah, I told you over the break there's a lag in the radio show, and uh, I'm sitting here in the house with friends of ours who are listening on the other side of the wall. They just now laughed at my joke, so. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, another uh, critic about the book wrote, even without the spiritual elements, it's a great story with a fast-moving plot and well-rounded characters. That's what really struck me. I was just taken in from the very first moment with this. Have you had any contact lately with your Jennifer from Across the Veil? Um, I think mainly through mediums. But, you know, Jessica in the book is very much like Jennifer. Hmm. So, you know, I, I can't say I've had direct contact, but uh, let's see. I, I was having a reading last year, and my son who lives in Germany, my younger son, who she was very close to, and his wife came to visit. And um, this medium said, she asked me about a necklace. She said, I'm seeing a, a string of pearls, a necklace of pearls. And I, I said, well, my son and his wife just brought me uh, a necklace of Dubai pearls. Ah. And she said, your daughter says they're from her. Nice. So, that's pretty direct, I guess. Yeah, that's pretty direct. And after our reading yesterday, you told me a wonderful story that I asked you to share today about the mermaid sign. Oh, yeah. I love that. Um, me too. Uh, yeah. Last year, I asked Jennifer if she was around me to give me a sign. And a couple of days went by, and I was going to, I went to a meeting, a networking meeting, women's networking group professionals. And uh, we have a back table where people are allowed to show their wares. And one of our new members um, made little wooden signs. And I saw one that she had made, and it said Mermaid Crossing. And Jennifer was a big fan of mermaids. I have her mermaid stuff in my house. So I said, okay, I have to get that. So I bought it. And on the way home, it occurred to me, oh, it's an actual sign. Yeah. Mermaids. And then it said Mermaid Crossing, and she was crossed. Yep. So I thought that was pretty fabulous. And uh, when I got home, I emailed the woman who made the sign, and she wrote back right away, and she said, I got chills because I was sitting in my car waiting to go to the meeting, and I suddenly realized I wasn't wearing the earrings I wanted to wear. So I went back in the house, and on her way out, she said she passed the table where she had been painting these signs, and she saw that one and decided to bring it with her to the meeting. And that's one of those for some reason moments right there. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. That would be Jennifer across the veil saying, hey, my mom asked for a sign. I love mermaids. Pick up that one. That's how it works. Yeah. Everything's connected. Just one big web. I love it. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. you know, what's funny is that I, I said to you yesterday, I'm always asking her, say mermaids, you know, when I have a reading, say something about mermaids. And she never does. But I really should just appreciate that was a really big one. Yeah, that's an excellent one. So let's talk in the remaining time here about the handwriting analysis. It's kind of it's off topic of what we've been talking about, but not completely, because uh, as I mentioned 
at the beginning of the show, for some of you who might have joined us late, that in preparing for the show, Sheila and I decided to trade services, as it were. And I did a reading for Sheila, and she analyzed my handwriting. And Sheila, it's so funny. You asked me to just send you a sample of my handwriting, to write something. And so I pulled off a piece of paper from my notebook that I put Sanaya's messages on every day. And I started writing, hi, Sheila. And as I was writing at the beginning, I noticed that I was staying within the lines, even though I wanted to write outside the lines. And I could feel my team with me saying, stay in the lines. So I stayed in the lines and halfway down the page, my pen ran out of ink. So I picked up a pen and then Sanaya said, now write like you wanted to write. And I started writing outside the lines. And I intuitively knew without even being a handwriting expert that this had something to do with showing the big shift that happened in my life. Was I right about that? You absolutely were, because handwriting changes as you grow and change, and you have you integrate the various experiences into your life. Some some changes in handwriting are temporary, like mood. Like, for instance, on on the day of Jennifer's funeral, I wrote a poem about her to be read by the minister, and my handwriting on that day was, you know, kind of different because of the emotional effect. Yeah. But then, it, it over time, that experience change some other things in my handwriting. So the things that you saw change reflect your change over time too. And and instantly. And it just amused me that you use that term outside the lines because it's the title of one of my books. Oh, is that right? Oh funny. Yeah. <laughs> well you pointed out in your analysis, which was just like I said, so accurate and stunning that these kinds of things come through. You you just I'll just be right up front with everybody and show you that they, you talked about a core wound that I carry around. Let me just ask a question. Do we all have a core wound? Oh, yes, we do. Okay. So it just depends on how well we've addressed it as we get older. Okay. Hopefully. Well, then you pinpointed exactly what my core wound was. And when I, that's the thing that got Ty's eyes going big when I read it aloud, just like mine when I read it, because it's, yeah, that's my thing. That's that's the thing I've dealt with my whole life. And it was in my handwriting, which is just amazing. So I hope you all, maybe you want to go out and check Sheila's books about handwriting <laughs> analysis for dummies. But uh, you just can't no, hide no, no, things. No, 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 no. But, Not for dummies. That's a different theory. <laughs> I know it's the, a series. Book, <laughs> no, no, but, not the, the, the dummies. Oh. is a different series from the Idiot's Guide. Oh. So my book, so, okay. my original what is book, your book? The Complete Idiots. The, the oh, one the Idiot's book. Okay. So now I have, I have a new book that's replaced that one called Reading Between the Lines. Okay. Decoding Handwriting. Perfect. Now, would that be on SheilaLow.com as well, or is that just um, about your novel series? No, actually, that's about handwriting. My novels are on ClaudiaRoseSeries.com. And okay. all, my, all my books are on ClaudiaRoseSeries.com. Okay, very good. So I found it interesting, just to give another aside as to how accurate this can be, that you pointed out that in crossing my T, I made what was called, what you called an X formation, X formation, that indicated, well, why don't you share with everybody what it indicates? Okay, well, this when I'm saying an X formation, it's a T crossing. I mean, it, it's a T crossing, but it looks like an X. And when I see that in my own personal re- anecdotal research, not formal research, it's 
always found in people who have a death consciousness. Either there's been a death close to them or they've been thinking about death sometimes. You know, sometimes people are thinking about suicide or they just, in fact, one murderer that I know of had it, uh, was a killer babysitter. She had it, but lots of other people who are thinking about death use this particular form. So I just want to assure everybody I'm not, uh, I don't fall into any either of those two latter categories, but instead I think about death every day as a medium. Yeah. So Sorry, I liked I, I liked in your con- in your comment you wrote um, where is it? Oh, here she says this is what I call death consciousness. Uh, whenever I have a chance to ask someone who makes this formation, it's turned out that there was a death close to them, or they've been thinking about death. Well, in your case. Duh. <laughs> I just thought that was funny because you're writing. It was all very analytical and, and serious until that point with that little interjection okay. there. But I, in reading um, in the description of some of your books about handwriting analysis, you say that even signs of addictive personality can be in our writing. What would that look like um, in handwriting? You know, um, and what I want to say applies to what I just said about the X formation. No individual sign in handwriting means anything outside the context of that writing. So there is no this means that. You have to look at the whole picture. Which that's is why gestalt, being an right? Form, yeah, it, it's gestalt. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I know that looking at your handwriting and seeing the X, you're not a serial killer or a bad person. <laughs> so you have to look at the entirety. And as for addictive personality, there is a there is a chapter in one of my books on that. And it's like a whole constellation of things to look at. With Gestalt, you don't look at the pieces like how you cross your T's and dot your I's. You look at the spatial arrangement and the letter designs and the writing movement, which is rhythm and speed and pressure and thousands of variables. So you have to see how they all fit together. Okay. Now, have you, could you share with us any of your more interesting cases where you were called in to, um, for example, with a suicide note or a murder case, how you your handwriting analysis helped to solve that? Well, actually, I would say that the, the most, the, the one that comes to mind is, is with Jennifer when she brought me Tom's handwriting when she first met him. Oh, no. And they were, yeah, they're, I mean, you know, what do you do when your mom is a handwriting analyst? You get handwriting of boyfriends or girlfriends in my son's cases. And, now, if um, I could stop it, for a second, Sheila, if any of you are joining us a little late, Sheila is an author and a handwriting expert. Her daughter, Jennifer, was murdered in 2000 by her boyfriend. And so this is the case she's talking about. Right. And his handwriting had some real, you know, serious red flags for pathology. They showed, the, and the handwriting only shows potential. It can't predict that somebody is going to do a thing like this. It's not like a crystal ball. Um, it's, it shows the potential, and his had potential for explosive outbursts, violence. And I talked to both of them about it because he wanted to know what his handwriting said. And also, some physiological uh, artifacts show up, and in his, there was a sign that he'd been hit in the head, and I asked him about that, and he said, yes, um, he was a federal agent, and on the job, he'd been hit in the head so hard he was almost blinded and was seeing a doctor. So between that and alcohol and stress on the job and stress at home, he was an explosion waiting to happen. Wow. And you say that you actually you addressed that with him. Yes. 
we did, but you know, she never listened to me her whole life. And unfortunately, she waited too long in that, and she's expressed that regret when she's come through. Yeah, yep. But as far as other murder case, a few years ago, there was... Um... Are you there? I'm here. Hello? I lost you for a minute. Could you repeat that? Yeah, Clark Rockefeller, who, I mean, he called himself that. He, it was quite a, a high-profile case in Boston. He had kidnapped his little daughter, and when the police found him, he um, was found to be a person of interest in a missing persons case and a murder case here in California. And there was some handwriting involved there, but it wasn't, it wasn't a personality assessment. It was the other part of what I do, which is handwriting authentication, determining who wrote something. Hmm. So I get some I get some interesting cases once in a while. I bet. So what is let's get back to the the point of the whole show is that you're now writing you've just written a novel about the afterlife. Have you had any feedback from say those that were just at your launch party who might have had a chance to read it who didn't know this side of you? Um, the people, oh, not from the launch party because it was, you know, just two days ago, but um, people who had the uh, the galleys and read it have, yeah, they've all commented how, well, people who didn't know what a seance was, they commented on that, and then others who have been there said this is very realistic, and I had a lot of good help with that. You know, I wanted to make it as real as I could, so I talked to people who had been involved in seances. Well, let's quickly define what a seance is for those who may have some misperceptions about it. Okay. You go well, ahead. For me, it's okay. It's a group of people sitting with a medium who uh, either channels or brings through information from the other side. Had you ever sat in on a seance? Um, not exactly. At the last AREI symposium, Scott Milligan did a demonstration. It wasn't a full seance, but he did some channeling. So that was as close as I got. Okay. And, and unfortunately, the term has this very woo-woo connotation for all of us. But mm. being a medium myself, I can tell you that it's it's very real and we don't have to have all the lights out and it can bring forth phenomenal evidence. So how did you go about making sure that the seance in your book is realistic, which I can assure everybody it is. When I read it, I said, this is excellent. Ah, thank you. I contacted Wendy Zamet, who, uh, com. her husband, they have a website that's got resources and links to everything about the afterlife. And um, she read it over, and I had made some mistakes, and she fixed those, or she told me, you know, she, she didn't fix them, she told me what to do, and she added some other information that I didn't know, and so I I uh, integrated all that, and it seems to have worked out. And then other, afterwards, I sent it to various mediums, Joe Higgins, who I had met there, and and yeah, they said it was accurate. So that made I love sense. I love Joe Higgins. I had to get him on the show. He he communicates with uh, military people who have crossed. But uh, oh. just to reiterate, you know, VictorZamet.com is an excellent resource for. Uh, information on the afterlife, and they put out the wonderful Friday Afterlife Report. Every Friday, as a matter yeah. of fact. So I, did you meet Wendy and Victor as a result of the AREI conference? Yes. Yeah. 
I did. And well, I met I'm, Wendy. I, I haven't met Victor, but I met Wendy last year in person in Scottsdale. Okay. And because right. I, I attend some of their global gatherings on Sunday, and so I've seen her there. Okay. One final word before we finish the show here is that one of the characters in the book drives a Tesla. There must be a story <laughs> yeah. behind that. Uh, yes. Well, Sonia Rinaldi, who uh, is a wonderful woman and uh, has been researching for 30 years the afterlife, and, and I was one of what she called her group of 30 last year. And um, she is bringing through actual photographs of people from the other side, and I've got one of Jennifer. And one of the people that she works with on the other side is Nikola Tesla. So that was an homage to, to her work and to him. Uh-huh. He's a, the head of the North Station, as she calls it, or he calls it. And I know it's to if to anybody who's new to this show, it sounds absolutely crazy that we could be talking to Nikola Tesla. But I brought him through in the laboratory at the University of Arizona for Dr. Schwartz. So uh-huh. there are so many across the veil that are helping us. And Sheila. Very clearly, your daughter Jennifer has helped you with this beautiful book. The book, everybody, is Proof of Life, A Beyond the Veil Mystery. Please check it out. Go to SheilaLow.com or look her up on Amazon to check out this latest book. Thank you so much for joining us. It's just been a delight talking with you, Sheila. Thank you so much, Suzanne. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Life is hard, and sometimes you need a little help and guidance. I'm Laura West, host of a Guided Life podcast, and I believe that help is all around us. We just have to ask for it. The universe has a way of guiding us forward with the help of our past loved ones, angels, spirit guides, and ascended masters. On the podcast, I love to explore these ideas with incredible guests and let people know that they are never alone. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you can join me on this journey. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm network and wherever you get your podcasts.